And floorboards to shingles. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Well, a new year means new trends in home design and remodeling. We're going to have an insight this hour into what will be popular this year in new homes as well as in renovations. And perhaps you'll get some ideas that will inspire your own home, too. And also ahead, we've got an easy idea that will help homeowners and apartment dwellers alike with their heating costs. We're going to tell you how to use radiator deflectors to throw heat back into a room instead of against an outside wall, which, of course, just escapes right outside. (laughs) And as you start to think about decluttering your home this year, we're going to have some advice to help you find hidden treasures among the junk. Kari Cuxey is going to be here from HGTV's Cash and Kari. She'll join us with some advice on sorting through your stuff and finding those treasures that could be worth big bucks. And speaking of treasures, we are giving away this hour a copy, an autographed copy of our book, My Home, My Money Pit, Your Guide to Every Home Improvement Adventure. It makes it worth less, you know, when you scribble. <laughs> Lots of great ideas and advice for you right at your fingertips, but you got to help yourself first by picking up the phone and calling us at 1-888-MONEY-PIT. 888-666-3974. Leslie, who's first? Danny in Texas has a question about leaky pipes. What can we help you with? I have a house that's about uh, 55 years old. It has galvanized water pipes. Uh, There are leaks on the hot water side. On the cold water side, if I turn the valve off at the hot water heater, it seems to hold the water pressure. My question is, should I replace all all of the pipes or just the hot water pipes? Well, if you have galvanized water pipes, it's only a matter of time. Typically, here's how you go about um, replacing that type of piping system. First step is to replace everything that's accessible. So I would not distinguish between hot and cold pipes. I'd replace them all because it's going to be less expensive for you to have the plumber come in once than twice for all that. Uh, Secondly, you replace, if you have a galvanized water pipe that's the main, uh, you replace that next. And then thirdly, whenever you have walls torn open in your house or do any renovation whatsoever, when you find a pipe, you replace it then. So you do all the easy stuff first, then you typically do the main, and then you do the vertical risers because they tend to rust the least. Okay, so basically what you're saying is if it's there, get it out. If it's there, get it out because it's probably 60-plus years old right now, and what happens is they will rust internally. They'll close down kind of like a clogged artery. Those pipes, if they're an eighth of an inch thick, they can add uh, about eight times that much rust to it. So you essentially can close down to, to a really tiny hole in that pipe. And then the other thing that happens is it actually breaks through the outside surface. It'll leak a little bit, Danny, and then it'll kind of the mineral salts will dry on the surface and kind of scab it over. And then with expansion and contraction, it'll start to leak again and again and again. So those pipes are at the end of a normal life cycle, and they really should just be replaced. And I wouldn't uh, differentiate between hot and cold at this point. If it's accessible, I'd have them all done at the same time. Okay. About how much should I expect this to cost? Well, it really depends on, you know, how many pipes you got there and how hard it is to get to everything. But just get a couple of different bids. You might want to go to uh, servicemagic.com and post your job there. You get contractors that compete for it that way. And you can also check uh, their references and their records and their licenses and all that sort of thing uh, through those folks at Service Magic. Well, very good. Well, I greatly appreciate your advice here. You're very welcome, Danny. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. 
Cinda in Missouri has a venting question. What can we do for you? Uh, yes. We re- recently purchased a home, and it has a heat pump. Okay. We're, someone told us, uh, actually the owner told us to make sure to keep the vents open uh, to, from the outside of the house to make sure it gets enough air. Is, is that something we really need to be concerned of? We've got tile floors, and it's cold on the uh, seems to keep the floors cold. So you, you say vents open on the outside of the house. You mean the supply registers on the exterior walls? Uh, I believe that would be true. It's, yes, down near the foundation of the home. Right. Okay, well, look, um, the way a heat pump works is, this is an electric heat pump, I'm going to presume. It A standard fossil-fueled furnace, like a gas or oil furnace, is going to heat up your air to somewhere around 130 degrees or 140 degrees. So when you put your hand in front of it, it really feels warm coming out of the out of the register. A heat pump is only going to heat it up to like around 100, 110 degrees. So the difference is that when you put your hand in front of it, it doesn't really feel warm because, in fact, what's going on is that wet air is blowing across your skin and the force of the moisture evaporating off your skin makes your skin feel cooler than it really is. Even though it heats the house, it does so differently and very gradually. So closing those off is not going to help you. If you close those off, it's going to take even longer to heat up the house. The best way to use a heat pump is to set it and forget it. Choose a temperature that you like. Leave it at that temperature. Come hell or high water, it's always at that temperature. Now, you can use a clock setback thermostat with a heat pump, but you have to have a special one that moves the heat up very, very slowly because the way a heat pump works is it only maintains a two-degree differentiation between what it's set at and what the temperature is in the room. So if you set it at, say, 74 and the temperature falls to 73, heat pump comes on, 72, the heat pump's still on, 71, the heat pump says, whoa, I can't keep up with this because it's more than two degrees between what the temperature is in the room and what the thermostat says it should be. And then it brings on the electric resistance heat, which is a backup to the heat pump that's built into it, but that costs about two to two and a half times as much to run. So you end up heating your house all winter with straight resistance heat. So with a heat pump, it's never going to be as warm as a gas or oil system, if that's what you're used to, but you're, mo- you're best to just sort of set it and leave it alone. Don't close those vents. It'll take a lot longer for the house to heat up. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at one eight 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 Money Pit. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Now you can call in with your home repair, home improvement, decorating, decor, whatever you are working on. We are here to give you a hand 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 1-888-MONEYPIT. 888-666-3974. Up next, remodeling trends for 2011 that might inspire a change at your house this year. The Money Pit is brought to you by Skill. Want hardwood floors but are on a budget? The affordable and feature-filled Skill Flooring Saw is just what you need for your installation project. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we would love for you to be part of the Money Pit. So pick up the phone and give us a call at 1-888-MONEY-PIT with your home repair, home improvement, whatever you are working on. We can help you with that question. And one lucky caller who gets on the air this hour is going to win a copy of our book, My Home, My Money Pit, Your Guide to Every Home Improvement Adventure. And in that awesome autographed copy, you are going to find advice on everything from how much paint 
to buy, how much carpeting to buy, how to redesign a space, what kind of countertop to use, to even which type of flooring is going to stand up best to heavy traffic. The number here is 1-888-MONEYPIT, so give us a call for your chance to win. 888-666-3974. Well, with every new year comes a whole new set of home improvement trends, and we are seeing some very interesting ones uh, for 2011. First in the bathroom, smaller square tiles are being replaced with tiles that are 12 by 12 or even bigger. Now, this goes completely opposed, Leslie, to what you normally would tell folks to do in a bathroom, right? Small bathroom, you would use a smaller tile so you don't echo that. Like mm-hmm. Now, though, we're like, bigger is better. Well, okay then. So that's what we're seeing. Also popular are the rectangular shapes that show off more tile and fewer grout lines. And speaking of flooring, we are also seeing a lot of radiant heating in the bathroom. And this is a great idea if you have any redoing a bath because you're definitely going to save on some energy costs, not to mention the fact that you will also be much, much warmer in the Tootsies. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I love those larger rectangular tiles because when you lay them on the floor, you can sort of off-scent them and, you know, lay them out brick style so that, you know, one sort of fills that center joint on the grout line. It really looks beautiful and it does make a space look super gigantic. Now, two trends that we're seeing in kitchens show that homeowners see this room as a multi-purpose room as opposed to just a place to cook and eat your meals. So different color stains and a mix of painted and stained finishes on cabinetry, that's a big trend and it allows homeowners to avoid a matchy-matchy kitchen that really looks very cookie cutter. And in the same vein, we're seeing more furniture-like detailing in this room with varied counter heights, even varied countertops. I mean, I've seen an island take on a completely different personality from a different base finish to a completely different granite on the top. So you can really be adventurous there. You can even bring in distressed finishes, furniture-style toe kicks. And finally, we're seeing more screened-in porches, which extend a home's living area and allow you to enjoy the outdoors bug-free, which is a huge bonus. For more trends and ideas you can incorporate into your decor this year, just search MoneyPit.com for 2011 trends. Melvin in Georgia has an insulation question. What can we do for you today? Well, I'm basically trying to choose the right construction method to insulate my attic uh, and to add uh, a vapor barrier. Okay. The, present, the present attic has insulation in the uh, ceiling of the downstairs, but... Uh, it's not enough insulation, and it doesn't have a vapor barrier. So I was trying to choose on whether to add something on top of the existing insulation and somehow get a vapor barrier, or to insulate and add a vapor barrier to the uh, roof rafters with a space in the uh, outer wood. Okay. Well, you've got two different ideas going here. First of all, you never, ever, ever want to insulate the roof rafters because that's just going to shorten the lifespan of your roof and not really do anything for your house. Now, with the insulation that's in the floor joists or, you know, resting on the ceiling of the floor below, the vapor barrier goes between the conditioned space and the unconditioned space. So since you've already got insulation in there... You know, you really can't add a vapor barrier because you don't want that in between levels of insulation. But what you can do is add, you know, the fiberglass bat insulation on top of what's already there. If it's below the height of the joist, you want to sort of fill in to get it to that height of the joist and then do another layer perpendicular to your joist. So you want to fill it in and then go across it in the opposing direction because, you you know, you need that much to sort of uh, achieve good insulation in your attic space. But it only works if you have really good ventilation. So you have to make sure that these two systems are sort of working hand in hand. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So you wouldn't add any kind of vapor barrier at all is what you're saying in that method. 
No, what I would do is I would recommend that you improve the ventilation. Make sure you have plenty of ventilation in that attic space, a good ridge vent, a good set of soffit vents, so that you flush out any moisture and any heat that collects in the attic space. Because you have existing insulation, if you were to add a second vapor barrier, you would end up sandwiching that moisture and sandwiching that vapor, and that would render any of the existing insulation completely ineffective. So I would concentrate on unfaced insulation and improving the ventilation, and that will solve the problem and make sure it's very, very efficient. Okay, very good. Well, okay, uh, thank you very much for your help. You're very welcome, Melvin. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEY-PIT. All right, now we've got Tiffany from Farmville, North Carolina, who's dealing with a leaky air conditioning unit. What's going on? Hey, thank you for taking my call. Um, We have an old house, and it has popcorn ceilings, and our air conditioning unit is in the attic. And in two rooms, we had leaks, and uh, the leaks have been fixed, but they've left these really awful brown stains on the ceiling. And I've been told if you try to repaint popcorn ceiling, you have to get it right on the first swipe or else it's going to just peel right off. Yeah. I was wondering if there was a solution I could spray up there that would take that away without having to repaint them. Yeah, um, you have to prime it, though, first. If you don't prime it, um, you're going to find out that the uh, the stain is going to come right through the whatever color you put over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so, no removing that stain. You've yeah. got to cover over it. Now, if it's fairly concentrated, how big is the stain in terms of, is it a, is a square foot or a couple of square feet? How big is it? It's really wide in both rooms. It's, All right. It's really well, huge. here's what I would do then. I, I would repaint the whole ceiling. I would get a roller, a slitted roller. There's rollers that are designed for popcorn ceilings. They're very thick, and they have slits in them. And the first coat that you're going to apply is a primer. I would use an oil-based primer. It's going to be a messy job. I'm not going to kid you about it. But that will seal in whatever's on the surface there, give you a real neutral, dry, sticky surface on which to apply the ceiling paint. Then you can apply the ceiling paint using the same type of a roller, very thick one with slits in it, and you'll be good to go after that. You can't just paint right over it, though, because it'll keep coming through. Much. You're welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at one eight 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 Money Pit. That's one of those situations, Leslie, where you really need the right tool for the job. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And that was one caller who actually didn't want to get rid of the popcorn ceiling. Yeah. Well, so- how about that? <laughs> <laughs> for every person who wants to take it off, there's twelve more that want to put it back on again. <laughs> I think you meant that the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that too. <laughs> you know, it was a popular ceiling with builders because they didn't have to be as uh, as detailed with or their finish Or cover work. their seams. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Gerald in Montana has a window question. What can we do for you? Uh, we have uh, some windows that we like to increase the energy on. Uh, these windows are uh, made out of cherry. They're beautiful woodwork, which matches the rest of the, you know, the building's interior in a couple of rooms. They're double hung with sash cords and so forth. And we don't want to replace the wood. So okay. So we... Can we do something else? Well, storm windows would be your, your only option. Do you have them now? We have some uh, aluminum storms that were put in the 50s, and I don't mm-hmm. think they're very efficient. Yeah. Well, you know, the storm windows are a little bit better today than they were in the 50s. Um, you're going to have to find a supplier for them. For an older house, there's a website called oldhouseweb.com that has a supplier directory that's got uh, 20 or 25 different manufacturers that make storm windows listed on it. That's probably a good place to start and call around and get a sense as to what's available. You can also, you know, improve your weather stripping and and things of that nature around the old windows. But truth to be told, those windows are just not really energy efficient. And anything you do is going to be, you know, a matter of you trying a bunch of things to see what works best. But they're not ever going to be really energy efficient without putting a storm window on top of it. 
Okay. Well, I'll sure look into that. All right. Well, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at one eight 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 Money Pit. Judy in Minnesota has an interesting situation, being that you only get hot water if you do laundry first. This, this is my mother. She has to run enough water to fill her water, or her wash machine, before the water heater will come on enough to heat up the water for so she can take a shower. So, hmm. does she have the wrong kind of water heater, or does she is it hooked up wrong, or what? But she has to run enough water. She doesn't apparently run enough otherwise. You know, washing huh. hands and dishes isn't enough. What kind of a water heater does she have? Is it electric or gas? It's electric. Yeah. Okay, here's what's going on. Electric water heaters oh, have two thermostats. My husband just said, no, it's not. It's gas. Oh, man, you blew my whole answer. <laughs> oh, I had sorry. it all figured out. Sorry. <laughs> it's gas. All right. Well, if it's gas, something's obviously wrong with the thermostat. How old is it, Judy? Yes. Uh, not very old. She just had a new one put in shortly ago, so it's less mm. than a year old, I would yeah, say. Yeah, something's wrong with the control circuit. Something's wrong with the thermostat. It's not Maybe heating it, up the water it, properly. It might even be a simple solution as it's not dialed up to the correct temperature. Yeah, oh, well, we tried that. You tried yeah. that. Now, Judy, I don't, think, I don't think that the thermostat is working right because it should be measuring the temperature and controlling when the burner comes on and off. I was going to say, if you had electric water heater, it would make perfect sense because there's two there's two heating elements. One's up high and one's down low. And if she only, if she had one that was burned out, that would be why she had to spill off a lot of hot, a lot of cold water before she found the hot. But with electric, it's a matter of the thermostat not regulating the water temperature properly. So if it's only a, a year old, though, it should be under warranty. So I would start with the manufacturer and go from there. Okay, I appreciate the answer. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at one eight 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 Money Pit. Randy in North Carolina, you've got the money pit. What can we help you with today? I got uh, some insulation. It was, I think, all at 39 half inches wide, and it was about in the strips put under my house. Okay. And uh, my nephew put it up, but he put the paper. It's got paper on one side, and it's facing downward instead of floor. And uh-huh. a friend of mine told me that was backwards. He said that wouldn't serve the purpose like that. Yeah, well, you got a smart friend there that is upside down. He, he essentially put the vapor barrier uh, upside down. The, the vapor barrier, the rule of thumb, Randy, is that the vapor barrier always goes, points towards the living space or the heated space. So that should have been up. Okay, because i got my furnace under the house. You know, the furnace under the house, too. Well, but the crawl space is not heated, so again. Right, right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I understand the heater is in the crawl space, but that's not <laughs> the heated space. The heated space is upstairs, hence the vapor barrier should have been up against the underside of the floor. Now, I've got a trick of the trade for you, though, and that is that you can go down the crawl space and you can cut that vapor barrier about every six inches, kind of slice it. That will allow some, some uh, air to breathe through there and help it dry out. Problem is that you can trap moisture in there, so you need to slice it so it has some ventilation. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. Still ahead, ever wonder if that old painting your grandparents left you is worth anything? You know, your junk can be someone else's treasure more often than you think. We're going to teach you how to find those hidden gems after this. Where home solutions live. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And have you ever wondered if that old armoire you've been holding on to might actually be a real antique, perhaps have some value? Or have you ever gone to a flea market hoping to find a gem among the junk? Well, 
If you love the idea of looking for valuable items, but you're not sure how to go about it, our next guest can help. That's right. Kari Cuxi is an estate sale liquidator and host of the new HGTV series, Cash and Kari. Welcome, Kari. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's our pleasure. So, all right, first off, what's the most valuable thing you've ever found? (laughs) Oh, you know what? There's been so many things. One thing I'm dealing with right now, I have a dower chest that I purchased um, just kind of on my gut. And Mm -hmm. I knew it could have been worth like $1,000 plus, so I offered the owner $750. And I've had it kind of pseudo-appraised over the Internet, and uh, it looks like it could be worth up to $10,000. That's amazing. That's very cool. Yeah, I'm right in the middle of it, so it was a fun find for me, of course. Now, you said that you did this based on your gut. Is that how so many of these finds happen? You just kind of go with your best judgment? Well, you can't know everything about everything in the antique world. So a lot of times I truly do go on my gut where you just have that feeling. It hasn't been 100%, but, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing well so far. So I'm just kind of going with my gut and seeing what happens. But a lot of the times, yes, absolutely on my gut. Now, when you're out in the marketplace, you know, whether it's at an estate sale or an antique fair, is there a certain type of item that you know is going to be a collectible or is it really based on, you know, what the buyer might see as what's valuable? One man's junk truly is another man's treasure. Mm -hmm. Um, It is so true. There is a collector for everything, and I mean everything. So I kind of go, I like to go for the unusual and unique because it's kind of a rarity where someone's like, wow, where did you get this? What's the story? So I tend to be drawn to those type of items. Now, what do you think is the most collectible thing these days? I mean, the the idea of the collectible, I mean, I know that my my mom always loved Hummels. That was like her collectible. And, <laughs> yes, and Hummels so many are huge. Folks, and I collect creamware. All right. So then so, there you go. I mean, There's another two thing. different things. What's the real trendy collectibles these days? Uh, pottery. Mid-century pottery is huge right now, along with mid-century modern furniture that's hot. I can't keep it for very mm-hmm. long. It sells instantly. I just sold um, some Heath pottery dishes that literally sold in six hours online. Um, the, the hunter <laughs> slash collector, she'd been looking for like three years, and she was actually locally here in Michigan. I put it online. She found it. She said she's found it. She walked away from the computer, came back before she went to bed, and just bought it on the spot. So pottery's doing really hot right now. He actually had a, a friend that used to be into Fiesta wear, but the old stuff. I love Fiesta wear. I'm a collector myself. And I heard, he told me that, that some of it actually was radioactive because of the finishes. <laughs> is, that, is that true? The really old stuff? Yeah, you have to be really careful. <laughs> you definitely don't want to put it in your microwave or something. Yeah. That might be dangerous. So I kind of just keep the old stuff on shelves. Just look at it. Just to, exactly. just to enjoy. Now, exactly. do you find that People, the hunter, I like, as you call it, do they have more success online or is it really better to just sort of hit the streets and go to the markets? You know, obviously hitting the streets and going to a market, you're going to find things that um, haven't been out there for anyone to see. When you put things online, obviously, you know, the big giant eBay has changed the antique world. But you can still find great deals at flea markets and estate sales and all kinds of rummage sales. Now, when you do see something and you suspect that it might be valuable, what are the sources, Don't aside jump from your own down. personal knowledge, <laughs> you know, what are some of the sources that you might turn to, say, online? I mean, these days you can walk around with your iPhone and do some real quick research to kind of see what else might be out there in the same category. Do you have some favorite websites or some tools that you use to try to get a quick assessment of value? 
I do. I think I subscribe to any and all um, research websites that are out there. One of them is called worthpoint.com. It's an excellent source where you can hunt all the way back to, you know, the year 2000 to find out um, what something has gone for at auction. That's a really helpful tool. And just turning around, just using any search engine, too, really is helpful. That's really must have changed your business substantially over the last decade, just the availability and the wealth of information that's out there. It really, really has. You know, it's put, um, it's put a lot of different um, items up that you think were rare, and then six people around the country have it, so it's not really rare anymore. So it's mm-hmm. really changed the market drastically. And are you allowed to say you're at the Antiques Fair, negotiate, or, I mean, how do you do it fairly? It's kind of like that old saying, what goes around comes around. You have to negotiate so the the seller feels happy and you're not going to take advantage of somebody who doesn't have any idea um, what it's worth. Obviously, with the dower chest, I didn't know exactly what it was worth, so that customer was happy with the $750 that I paid. So it's kind of like that karma thing of paying forward of, okay, this is a good deal, that's a fair price, but obviously I'm not going to let somebody beat me up. I have to. When you're buying to sell, there has to be the right amount of margin. Now, the disadvantage of having a up-and-coming television show about this is that customer may actually find out <laughs> that her dower chest is worth ten grand. So right. I hope you have a backup plan. <laughs> yeah, actually, um, yeah, exactly. I know, and it's always. I, I thought about going back and, and uh, giving some donation back of look, this is what it's really worth. She is Kari Cuxi, a real estate liquidator and host of HGTV's brand new show, Cash and Kari. Kari, when's the show airing? The show is airing Monday nights at 10 p.m. Fantastic. Thanks so much for stopping by the Money Pit, and good luck with the new program. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. All right. Still to come, ideas for temporary storage solutions that are going to help keep warm air in, including great tips for both homeowners and renters alike. So stick around. Live in the Money Pit. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Call us right now with your home improvement question at one eight 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 Money Pit because if you do, you may just win a copy of our book, My Home, My Money Pit, your guide to every home improvement adventure on which we will scribble our names just before putting it in the mail to you. <laughs> if you prefer to have one that's not scribbled and not defaced, well, All we, right, can send we won't that. do that. We can send that as well. <laughs> the number is one eight 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 Money Pit. No way. I'm signing it anyway. <laughs> like it or not, we're signing it. All right, folks. Well, most of the time, our advice is geared towards homeowners trying to save money or time. But there are actually plenty of ways that we could help renters as well. For example, if you rent, you probably can't make permanent changes to cut down on your energy costs. But there are plenty of things that you can do that won't affect your security deposit. First of all, you can temporarily insulate your windows with removable caulk. Now, this caulk is going to seal out drafts and then seal in the heat with a clear-like gel formula that's going to settle into a rubbery consistency, which you can then easily peel away come springtime. It's not going to leave any damage to the window or the window trim, but it's going to keep your heat indoors. Now, do you have radiators in your house or your apartment? You should be using radiator deflectors. We've seen pricey deflectors that are made from metal 
metal, but there are affordable and effective radiator deflectors made of large sheets of foam board, which are coated on both sides with a metallic foil. The reflector encourages the heat from your radiator back out into the room and away from the wall behind it. It's especially effective with radiators that sit against exterior walls because the deflector sheet insulates the wall, preventing radiator heat from leaking back outdoors through the wall while preventing cold air from leaking indoors to you. All in all, a bit of effort in these areas will definitely save you some money on that heating bill and make you more comfortable this winter. 888-666-3974. Call us right now with your home improvement question. Richard in Missouri wants to take on a flooring project. How can we help you? Yes, uh, I'm remodeling an older house, and it's a concrete floor. Okay. And I, I'm thinking about putting laminate, well, I am going to put laminate point in the kitchen and tile in the bathroom. Does it have to be perfectly level? And if it does, how would be the, perf- the easiest way to do that? Well, it doesn't have to be perfectly level. It has to be somewhat flat. I mean, the laminate floor will take a certain level of unevenness in the floor. But the nice thing about laminate is there's a very thin layer of, like, insulation underlayment. Like a foam sheet. Yeah, like foam sheeting that goes underneath it. And then you lock together the pieces and the whole thing floats on top of the concrete floor. So it's a perfect solution for covering a concrete floor. And it doesn't really matter if it's completely level. It just can't have any kind of huge bumps in it. Like, you know, you can't put it over the dog's toy. <laughs> well, you've seen my work before. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that was my main question because it's fairly well level, but it's just, you know, not perfectly level. Yeah, well, I put laminate floor on a very old 1886 house that was very unlevel, uneven, and it did bend and twist with the floor, um, but it's it's not supposed to do what I did with it. So it will take a little bit of unevenness, but for the most part, just make sure it's as flat as possible. Okay. Bill, what's the best stuff to fill the cracks with? Oh, you want to use an epoxy patching compound. You can't go ahead and put concrete over concrete because it'll never stick. Um, You know, when we redid our basement floor, we pulled up the carpeting and the concrete underneath was just a mess. I mean, crumbling and falling apart and uneven. And we used something called Abacrete from a company called Abatron. And um, I always get the company name confused, but Abatron is their website as well. So you can find out all of the epoxy patching compounds that they have. And that will, you know, self-level, it will smooth out the floor and it will stick very, very, very effectively to concrete. And that's the best way to go about it. Okay. That was my question. I sure appreciate it. All right, Dot in Wisconsin, you've got the money pit. What can we do for you today? I was wondering if you could give me some information on a good air purifier with low maintenance and maybe some information on the filters. All right. Well, Dot, do you have a forced air heating system or are you looking for a portable unit? A portable unit. Mm, Okay. Do you have forced air in the house or you don't? I have forced air. You well, do. you're much, much better off uh, installing a whole home air cleaner that really scrubs the air in the entire house than a portable unit, because you're going to find that a portable unit is not going to be nearly as effective, uh, and it's also a lot more expensive to run, and it requires a lot more maintenance. Mm-hmm. Plus, you're going to need like okay. 10 of them. So a whole home unit gets installed on the return side of your heating and air conditioning system. And it basically captures all the dust particles and all the air that goes through there, traps it in a filter, 
And then you have to change the filter usually about once a year or mm-hmm. so with and this And the filter type. is ginormous. I mean, it is just folds and folds and folds, like accordion style, of this super dense fabric that traps everything, you know, even as small as viral size, which the portable units, you know, a lot of them don't have filters. There's just some sort of metal blade, if you will, that you have to clean. Plus, with the portable units, I mean, think about it, Dot, that the air that only passes through the portable unit is the air that's going to get cleaned. So if you put it in a corner, maybe, you know, a five-foot radius around it is all that's going to work. But with the whole house air purifier, as the air cycles through the system, it's constantly being cleaned and scrubbed. Smoke, odor, allergens, dust, virus size particulates. It really does an amazing job of getting about, what is it, like 99% of the particles out of the air? Yeah, let me give you a couple of recommendations, Dot. There's two products out there that are uh, pretty good. One is called Train Clean Effects, T-R-A-N-E, Clean Effects. The other one is the April Air Model 5000. Both are very effective Mm -hmm. whole house air cleaners. They can be installed by a local heating and cooling professional, and they'll do the job that you need to do. I thank you very much. I like listening to your radio program. You're very helpful. Thanks, Dot. Thank you so much for calling us at 1-888-MONEYPIT. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Coming up, if you think you're being smart by saving and reusing those greasy rags, think again. Those dirty oil cloths are a fire hazard. We're going to share some tips on how to get rid of them safely next. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home by calling 888-MONEY-PIT. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Give us a call right now with your home improvement project. The number is one eight 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 Money Pit, Or head on over to MoneyPit.com, click on the community section, and post your question right there. All right. Judy from Pennsylvania posted this question. Is it too late to seal out drafts from around my windows with caulk? Or is this something that needs to be done in above freezing temperatures? Uh, yeah. It's really too late to work outside, but what you can do, Judy, is work inside. And in fact, there is a little trick of the trade. There is a temporary weather stripping or kind of a temporary caulk that you can use. It's called seal and peel. It's probably going to be special order, but it's pretty cool stuff because you essentially can caulk your windows shut with this. And then in the spring, it peels right off and it doesn't harm the windows. So you could seal inside, but you just can't seal outside when it's this cold out. Mm -hmm. Better leave that for like your September, October project. (laughs) All right. Now, Mark in South Carolina posted, how long should a garage door opener last? Ours seems to be working intermittently lately, especially the remote units in our cars. We tried changing the batteries in them, and the unit itself is about 12 years old. That's way too old to be a really? safe garage door opener. Oh, yeah. I Just think because that's... of sort of safety measures that, mm-hmm. you know, allow it to open and close properly or, yep. you know, monitor what might be underneath it? Yeah. I, I would change it if it's that old because the technology has changed a lot over the last decade. And now the garage door openers are so much safer. They have multiple backup systems in them to make sure they never come down and crush anything or anybody. Plus, the security is a lot better now with rolling code technology. Mm, that's that true. You can't get somebody to drive up and down the street and accidentally open your door by mistake or a crook that wants to do it with uh, one of the devices that I'm sure is readily accessible to those folks. Um, so I do think if your garage door opener is that old, it's probably a good idea to replace it uh, rather than try to do any repairs. Now, 
you don't need to replace your door at this point to adapt to a new opener, correct? No, just the opener itself, but not the door. The door should be fine. Make sure that it's lubricated and make sure if it has springs that you run a cable through the springs. So if one of the springs ever breaks, it'll snap back and not fly off and hurt somebody. Mm -hmm. And you know what? It's super simple to change out that plastic sort of weather stripping, that rubbery stripping that's on the bottom of the door, because that really makes a big difference in whether the door is going to freeze to the floor or sort of, especially if it's a conditioned space or attached to your house. It takes two seconds to change that out. So good luck with your updating to your garage. Well, if you think you're being smart or economical and resourceful by reusing those dirty, oily, or greasy rags that you love to keep around your garage for jobs around the house, well, think again. These are a potential fire hazard, but don't just toss them in the trash. That may not be a good solution either. Leslie, however, has got details on the easy and safe way to dispose of them in today's edition of Leslie's Last Word. That's right. You know, piles of oily rags can actually spontaneously combust, and that could turn your home into a fireball. And don't even think about trying to wash and reuse those rags, because if you do, your washing machine and then the clothes that follow are going to smell like those rags, possibly for weeks. So just don't do it. And you're not doing the environment any favors by letting those chemicals get into the wastewater supply. You also want to resist the urge to just toss those dirty rags into the trash, because that can be dangerous too and it's been known to set off fires in landfills so what you want to do is use a large lidded container in your garage specifically for holding these rags until your community rag collection day that's right there is such a day it does exist check with your town and fill your container halfway with water and add a cup or two of laundry detergent this way you're going to drown your oily rags in there and let them sit until you can dispose of them safely and properly so do so folks it's just about keeping you and your family safe all right Coming up next week on The Money Pit, you either love it or hate it. But either way, wallpaper removal has that dubious distinction of being one of the most annoying home improvement projects that most folks take on. Never fear, though, we've got some tips to avoid climbing the walls over this on the next edition of The Money Pit. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone.